Support for this podcast and the following message come from Wise, the app that makes managing your money in different currencies easy. With Wise, you can send and spend money internationally at the mid-market exchange rate. No guesswork and no hidden fees. Learn more about how Wise could work for you at wise.com. Today on the state of Ukraine, a recently destroyed dam causes catastrophic flooding and raises fears of a nuclear meltdown. Who is to blame? I'm Greg Dixon. A dam in Ukraine holding back a reservoir 150 miles long and 14 miles wide burst the morning of June 6th. That sent a massive amount of water heading downstream, flooding towns and villages. And the reservoir is also used to cool Europe's largest nuclear power plant. We'll hear about the nuclear danger in a minute. But first, Ari Shapiro got the view from Russia and Ukraine from NPR's Charles Mains in Moscow and Greg Myrie in Kiev. Greg, you're in Ukraine. What exactly happened and how are Ukrainian officials reacting? Well, the Ukrainians are angry. They're adamant that Russia did this. President Volodymyr Zelensky is calling the Russians terrorists. Now, initially, the Ukrainians really feared mass casualties. Here's a woman, Oksana, who was in tears when we spoke to her by phone in the southern city of Kherson. A family just wrote to me. They never left. And now they are... They write, if they don't survive, they already saying goodbye to me. But I have to say that was early in the day on Tuesday. Ukrainian officials are now saying as of Tuesday evening, there's no confirmed deaths on the side of the river that they control, the west side. And just for context, this dam, the Kahovka Dam, spans the big, wide Dnipro River that effectively is the front line in southern Ukraine, with the Ukrainians on the west side and the Russians on the east side. And Charles, you're in Moscow. What has the response been from Russian authorities? Well, we heard from Kremlin spokesman Dmitry Peskov, who said in no uncertain terms just the opposite. Uh, Russia was not to blame. He said Kiev had carried out a sabotage attack on the dam uh, with the goal of starving Crimea. This is the peninsula Russia annexed from Ukraine back in 2014 that's located to the south of the dam. Uh, he said that it was preventing Crimea from access to fresh water. He said the Ukrainians has also tried to distract from uh, setbacks that they'd faced on the battlefield, and Peskov vowed uh, Ukraine wouldn't succeed. You know, and and Russian authorities down the line really have seemed intent on projecting a similar sense of calm thus far. Uh, the Kremlin-backed uh, governors of occupied Crimea and Kherson insisted there would be little immediate disruption to the civilian population, uh, even as a controlled evacuation was underway in affected areas on the east side of the river. Uh, and there were surreal scenes, uh, such as Novokakhovka, that's the Russian-occupied town closest to the dam, uh, where the downtown was abandoned to the waters. Uh, a video circulating widely online showed two low swans floating past the local house of culture, a literal swan lake. And the timing here is interesting because, Greg, Ukraine has been talking about its spring offensive, which may have already begun. Is there any evidence that flooding might impact the operation? Well, we, we don't have any evidence, Ari, but as, as purely a common sense observation, we know southern Ukraine is a place the Ukraine military wants to attack, is virtually certain to attack. And we know river crossings are always difficult military operations. And if lots of ground is flooded, that could make it even harder. Now, the Ukrainian military seemed to anticipate this, and they put out a statement today saying they have, quote, 
all the necessary watercraft to undertake such an operation. Now, the Ukrainian government and military are stressing daily that they're not going to talk about the offensive in detail. The military put out a video a couple days ago with a soldier putting his index finger to his lips, that international symbol for shush, be quiet. And just to drive home the point, the text said, plans love silence. There will be no announcement of the start. And Charles, on the Russian side, is there concern about that Ukrainian spring offensive? You know, today we heard from Defense Minister Sergei Shoigu, who addressed the issue directly. So here Shoigu says not only has the long-promised Ukrainian counteroffensive begun, uh, but that Russia had successfully thwarted it. Now, in recent days, Russia's defense ministry has said its forces rebuffed several large-scale Ukrainian offensives. Uh, They also claim to have inflicted heavy losses on the Ukrainian army. Uh, Some, of course, will question the ministry's credibility. It it almost always seems to claim to have good news from the front. Uh, But today, Shoigu shifted that narrative a bit. He announced that 71 Russian soldiers had died in the latest fighting, uh, the first time he's addressed any Russian losses since well into last year. And Shoigu's acknowledgement, I think, is a window into what's shaping up to be a much more complicated picture militarily for Russia. We've seen near-daily drone attacks of late, including in Moscow last week. Uh, There's seemingly regular accidents involving railway lines and fires at oil and gas depots that many here suspect uh, Ukraine has a hand in. And we see this uptick in fighting inside Russia, you know, in the region of Belgorod in particular, where hundreds of residents here were evacuated this week amid shelling from Ukraine. And in all of this suggests that despite, you know, Shoigu's statements about success against the Ukrainian counteroffensive, some Russians would be happy to say, look, that's great. Let's see what you can do to better defend the homeland. How do each of you think Russia and Ukraine would define success in this Ukrainian offensive? Greg, why don't you begin? Well, from President Zelensky on down, many Ukrainians have have set a really ambitious goal, which is to drive all Russian troops from their territory. That's a huge challenge for all of Russia's military shortcomings in this war, and there certainly have been many. It still has a very large army and holds about 17 percent of Ukrainian territory. So Ukraine does need to win back significant uh, land, real estate, though most Western military analysts say it's unrealistic for Ukraine to win it all back in this offensive. They say what's also hugely important is for Ukraine to show it it can do something it hasn't done before, which is wage a complicated offensive operation that makes use of all the military hardware and the training that the West has provided and then hopefully will continue to provide. And Charles? You know, I think it's important to note that um, neither Moscow or, for that matter, Kiev appears to have any interest in freezing the conflict. In other words, some kind of negotiated ceasefire. Russian President Vladimir Putin continues to insist Russia is in this for the long haul and to win. Uh, And in that sense, the Kremlin's objective is quite clear, to thwart the Ukrainian counteroffensive now uh, and hope that the West, and by that I mean Western governments or the citizens who elect them, uh, eventually tire providing military support to Kiev if or when Uh, They see that Ukraine can't win. That is NPR's Charles Maines in Moscow and Greg Myrie in Kyiv. Thank you both. Thank you. Sure thing, Ari. For more about the nuclear dangers caused by the loss of this dam, Ari spoke to NPR science correspondent Jeff Brumfield. So the dam was holding back this huge reservoir and the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant is right on the shores of that reservoir. What are the implications for the plant? Yeah, well, nuclear plants create a lot of heat, and that heat needs to be dissipated to avoid a meltdown. And this is why nearly all nuclear reactors are located near lakes or the ocean. Zaporizhia used this reservoir, and now the reservoir is draining. 
The the good news is the plant's reactors have been shut down for months. They are still hot, but they're a lot less hot than they were when they were operating. I spoke to Jacopo Bongiorno, a nuclear engineer at MIT. He says right now they only need about a fire hose worth of water to keep uh, all those reactors cool. The bottom line is that they're not going to run out of, of that amount of water anytime soon. The plant has its own cooling pond, and that should stabilize things for a while. But, you know, Ari, this dam is gone. The water's not coming back. And so I think this creates a real challenge in the medium to long term. So there's not an immediate threat, but could this eventually lead to a nuclear meltdown? In theory, yes, it could, though it would not be the sort of thing that happened at Chernobyl. That, of course, was the world's worst nuclear accident, which also happened in Ukraine. Uh, These reactors are much more modern and much safer. Uh, But just like the dam, this plant has been battered by war. It's endured shellings, blackouts, fires, a brutal, brutal Russian occupation, and now this. It's hard to know kind of which straw could break the camel's back, but I mean, this is one of the bigger straws, I would argue, that could happen to the reactors. And, And the reservoir was, of course, being used for more than just the nuclear plant. What other problems could this cause for southern Ukraine? Yeah, towns on both sides of the reservoir used it for drinking water. I spoke to David Helms, a retired meteorologist with the U.S. government who's been tracking what's going on at the dam very closely. He guesses roughly around a million people are going to need to find water from somewhere else. It'll have to be trucked in, which, you know, for a million people, that's that's a huge challenge. Beyond that, this reservoir fed around a thousand miles of irrigation canals. This was one of the largest networks in Europe. Those canals watered fields of vegetables and cash crops like rapeseed. So going into a hot summer and beyond, losing this reservoir is going to have a, a huge economic and humanitarian impact for Ukrainians on both sides of the front lines. NPR's Jeff Brumfield, thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The State of Ukraine from NPR News. Please come back for more on the war and its impacts around the world. NPR brings you the updates you need on the day's biggest headlines. The Senate narrowly passed the debt ceiling bill that will prevent the country from defaulting on its loans. Stories from across the world. Knowing how to forage and to live with the land is integral to Amis culture. And down your block. From CPR News, this is Colorado Matters. And you can find all of that and more in your pocket. Download the NPR app today. Former President Trump is in serious legal trouble. And at the same time, he wants his old job back. It's a really big story. But with different trials in multiple states, with plea deals, testimony, gag orders, it's also really hard to follow. So we created Trump's Trials, a new NPR podcast where we break down the big news from each case and talk about what it means for democracy in weekly episodes. I'm Scott Detrow. Check out Trump's Trials from NPR. Hey, it's Aisha Roscoe from NPR's Up First podcast. I'm one of thousands of NPR Network voices coming to you from over 200 local newsrooms across the country. We bring all Americans closer together through free and independent journalism, music, politics, culture, and so much more. The NPR Network. What you hear changes everything. Learn more at npr.org network.